So I've got a simple word for you this morning, okay? I'm probably not going to reveal any new information to any of you in the room. But my hope and my prayer is that it's an encouragement to everyone. It, it may be just a friendly reminder to those of us that are here today. And I'm really asking God and, and just feel that I, I tried to get away from this, in fact, at some time. And I just felt like, no, this was the message that God wanted me to speak this morning. So I'm just believing that it's going to be a game changer for at least someone in the room. But for most of us, it's a reminder of something that we know that we far too often, or we've too often, I should say, failed to apply in our lives. And so maybe you need this reminder this morning. Let me start this way. How many of you have ever set yourself up for disappointment? Anybody in the room? I mean, you have built up something in your life that there was no way it was ever going to meet those expectations. You know, but before that day came, before that event, whatever it was, or that thing you, you wanted and you dreamed about, and you had just made it the, the key cog in your life's will. You know, life was going to be different after this, and suddenly that day comes, and the event happens, or you get that thing, and it's just like, really? Like, really? i got to move on to the next thing. That just did not do it. That didn't meet any expectation I had. Let me ask another question. Anyone ever fallen for one of those free vacations only if you're polite enough to sit through the presentation let me see the hand i know you're in here all right listen if your hand did not go up make it your life's mission to never have to raise your hand for that question okay i'll save you some time and some money <laughs> well we were a few years ago minding our own business in six flags and Suddenly, this pretty little girl just roped us in. Now, Leslie, if she were here and she had a microphone, she would tell you she roped me in. But listen, I, in my household, we make joint decisions, good or bad, in Jesus' name. So she's talking to us, and just a cute little girl, probably, probably a, high, a college freshman, just trying to make ends meet. And the picture she painted of this luxurious resort was just too much, too good to pass up. So, I mean duh like of course we're interested sign me up and I think Leslie's standing there going really so I had built this place up because she had painted this glorious picture and so my expectations were sky high as we pulled onto the property and soon thereafter they were deflated the the water park that they bragged about was just a level above kiddie pools and then they must have bribed the fire marshal to let them exceed the capacity the safe capacity by about a million people there were a million people fighting for these kiddie pools, and we had to sit through the presentation, which I did. If you, once you get to know me, you know I have a little sarcasm in my humor, and I did have fun with that. I kept the guy going for a while, and then I hope this isn't cussing to any of you, but I finally looked at him when Leslie was like poking, prodding, kicking. And I said, okay, we're done. I said, you're a nice guy. You're good at what you do. You don't have a snowball's chance, and you know where to sell this to us. And at that word, he got up, didn't say another word. I never saw him again. He disappeared. I was like, that's what you do. All right. So that worked. Well, it's funny now. We've laughed at that memory, me more than Leslie. But, you know, life's disappointments, because it was our vacation. <laughs> that was the bad thing. Life's disappointments aren't usually that cute or funny. So many of them we just can't laugh at. And so that's what we're going to be looking at on the first side of this message this morning. Look with me, at, and it's in your notes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and let's see what King Solomon has to say about some of this. So Ecclesiastes 2, beginning with verse 10, Solomon says, 
I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and all that I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And now I want you to look at how verse 17 starts. So we're going to skip just a few verses. And I hope no one in here feels this way, but I'm afraid in a crowd this size, probably someone does. And most of us have probably been here at some point in our life for some season, however long or short. But maybe you walked in here smiling. No one knows anything different. Maybe no one in your family even knows anything different. But yet you're just like we used to say in Louisiana, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. It seems that you can't catch a break. And so Solomon starts verse 17 with this. So I hated life. King Solomon, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. Grievous. The word there means oppressive or depressive. It was he felt like the weight of the world. It was just weighing on him. And then he continued, all of it is meaningless. And again, he repeats this phrase, a chasing after the wind. You can't catch the wind. There's empty grasping. You know, many people go through life giving themselves like King Solomon did, maybe on a lesser level, but everything that their hearts desire, everything that their eyes could seek after. And many of us have chased unrealistic expectations of life. And maybe you've gone after the next relationship and the next relationship and the next job and the next job and the next car, the next house or that next thing. And, and at the end of it, we survey it and we say it seems like a big waste. This all seems meaningless. And here's Solomon again who had everything anybody could ever desire. He had it all. He was the richest man, man who ever lived, the wisest man, so says the Bible. And again, he said this, I gave myself everything I wanted. I just went and bought it. I had it. I did it. I tried it. But he still said, when I surveyed it all, it was meaningless. And then several times throughout this passage, I believe he gives us a clue as to why perhaps everything Solomon was striving for was meaningless. Because he says over and over, under the sun. In your notes, the satisfaction so many are searching for can never be found because their focus is on everything, quote, under the sun. So how do we know if we ever arrive at this place? How do we know if our sentiments are in the same manner as Solomon's in this passage? Well, the, if you've ever been here, you've probably said one or all three of the following things. Number one in your notes, I am frustrated. I'm frustrated. Solomon felt that way. In the first chapter, he says this, life is useless, all useless. You spend your life working, but what do you have to show for it? The world stays just the same. Anyone ever felt that way? You don't have to answer. Man, I'm just frustrated. Maybe you come home from work thinking, you know, sometimes frustration comes out in the form of anger. It looks like anger. And, you know, you can walk through the door and your spouse can say, what's wrong with you? You seem mad. And the answer many times is, I don't know. I am mad, but I don't even know why. That's somehow how this frustration feels to us. Number two, look at it. We hear this all the time from people as opposed to what 
historically we used to hear. So if we're chasing everything under the sun and looking for satisfaction and that's the toil that we find ourselves in, we can say this often or hear it said, I am tired. I am tired. Or if you want to speak it in my southern dialect, I'm tarred. I'm wore out. Pay attention to how people answer the polite greeting. How are you? Used to it was fine, thank you, and you. Now more, more often than not, in fact, Business Week did a study and proved that this is the phrase we hear more than anything. I'm tired. It's almost like we've become proud of that. It's this badge of honor. It's kind of cool. How are you? Man, I am tired. Ooh, been busy? Just whooped. How about you? Yeah, me too, man. I'm busy and tired too. That's what we say now. Look at verses 5 through 8 of chapter 1. The sun still rises and it still goes down. The wind blows round and round and back again. Every river flows into the sea. Then the water returns to where the rivers began and starts all over again. Everything leads to weariness, a weariness too great for words. That's a pretty poetic way of putting that. Let me put that in our modern vernacular. I go to work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I work in the yard on Saturday. I go to church on Sunday. Then I go back to work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Around the house on Saturday. Go to church on Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, we just repeat this cycle. Well, Solomon said, in, a, in essence, this routine never stops. I've got everything I could want, but I'm stuck in this trap. When will it ever end? And it can leave us feeling just plain old tired. Well, it may look like this. I want you to check something out. It's poor quality because it's surveillance video, but I think you'll get the message. If you've ever wanted to do this, you may be here. And if God forbid you've ever done this, as a matter of fact, you are in fact here. So check this out. I think my favorite part is when he just nonchalantly walks back to his desk. <laughs> uh, I'm curious where he's working now, aren't you? I trust none of you have done that, but hopefully you've never felt like doing that. I think we've all felt like doing that, <laughs> let's just be honest. Well, I said there were three, that's two. I think this poor old boy was frustrated and he was tired. And he was probably number three as well. It's a biggie. I am unfulfilled. I'm unfulfilled. You know, what I thought was going to fulfill me just hasn't. 
Chapter 8, verse 1, Solomon says this. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. I'm unfulfilled. It's just not working out. Maybe you find yourself looking back over the last few years or last many years, and you've considered the things that you thought on the front end would lead to fulfillment, and they haven't. You thought that thing would satisfy you, and you've been chasing things, and you thought maybe that, again, it was that job or getting married or having children or it would be that vacation or that possession. And none of those things have seemed to satisfy. Well, if you're trapped in that trap, as again, many of us get to that place sometimes in our life and for a season, I want to offer you a way out. I want to give you one single thought that if you grab hold of this, it can change everything for you. And it's a principle, it's a truth that the Apostle Paul shares in Scripture, and we find it in 2 Corinthians 4. Now, if you've been around church any length of time or you know your way around the Bible at all, then you know the Apostle Paul can sort of be the polar opposite of King Solomon. King Solomon, richest man alive, had everything he could ever want. If he wanted it, he had it. The Apostle Paul, on the other end, he, he starts at Saul and persecuting Christians, comes to know Jesus in a very radical fashion, and from that day forward, his life was trouble. Challenge after challenge, problem after problem. He received the 39 lash whippings five times. He seemed to be beaten everywhere he went. In one place he was stoned, thought he was dead, dragged out of the city and left for dead. Interesting passage. The the Bible says the next day he got up and they went on to the next city. Amazing. Just challenge after challenge. You know the story. He was shipwrecked and spent a night in the open sea, a night and a day, Finally makes to shore, and moments later he's bit by a snake. I mean, come on. Most of those things had occurred before he wrote this passage. The shipwreck and the snake was after. But most of that had already occurred, and so he writes this in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Come again? We do not lose heart. Are you kidding me? I mean, wouldn't you love to be in the place where no matter what the stock market does or has done or will do regardless of what your children might be doing or what they might not be doing regardless of how things on the job are going or the lack of a job or that special co-worker how they may be treating you any of those things the weather whatever circumstance situation you find yourself in your attitude could be you know none of that gets to me I'll never lose heart None of it bothers me. Wouldn't you love to know the secret of a guy like that that can make that statement after such a rough life? Well, he goes on to say this, which contains part of the profound truth. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, that cracks me up. If I were writing, if I were watching Paul write this, I would say, hey, whoa, hey, Paul, hang on, time out. You sure you want to say it that way? Because, brother, I don't see anything light. I mean, we hope it's momentary, but I'm not sure any, any of your troubles have been light. Are you sure you want to say that? But, but Paul says, yes, that's exactly the way I want to say it because of what I'm about to share. The truth I'm about to share is why I can write all of these troubles are just light and momentary. He says this, for our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
Paul basically says that although he had trouble just like everyone else, and I would argue more than most others, they didn't weigh him down because he was living for something greater than even the life he had. In your notes, perhaps Paul would tell us that the secret to solving our problems isn't really even to solve our problems, but to have something in our life bigger, bigger than our problems. So maybe instead of trying to fix everything, which looking around the room, most of us have lived long enough to know that's just a futile attempt. It's a fantasy. We'll never get to that place where everything has been fixed. Maybe instead of doing that and and worrying about everything under the sun, the stuff that's right in front of us, maybe we should just shift our focus and and to look heavenward. I kind of I'm not a title guy necessarily, but in my spirit, I kind of titled this lift up my eyes. I will lift up my eyes after what the psalmist says in Psalm 121, I think it was. I will lift up my eyes. Maybe that's what Paul is saying. You know what? There was a time where I lifted up my eyes and suddenly all these troubles began to vanish. Just the weight of them just faded. They didn't go away, but the significance of them in my life and the, the time that they occupied my mental energy just began to go away. You know, what if we could do that? What if we could shift our focus? What if we could have this eternal focus? I know what would happen. Then no matter what life dishes out, we could still walk in with a genuine smile. We could enjoy one another and love each other, and it wouldn't matter if all of life was, quote, fixed. There could still be problems and troubles and trials because we know even Jesus said, you're going to have those things. But if our eyes were focused on the eternal, we would understand that we're living for something bigger than that. And I will keep pressing forward. I won't stop till I've achieved what I have my eyes on. You know what else would happen? This is not in your notes, but it reminded me of the Matthew 6 passage where it says, Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then... Then all these things, and, and these things were he had talked about beforehand was the stuff of life. It's, it's the things that are necessary just for our daily lives. If, if I believe when our focus is on the eternal, then God does provide those needs, as the Bible would say, and we can enjoy them. God, he, he doesn't only not have a problem with you being fulfilled. He wants you to be fulfilled in this life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and life more abundantly. He desires that for you. But the way that we have it is to always keep our focus on the eternal, on the life that's beyond this life. And then he'll bless us with the kind of life that we can enjoy because he wants his believers and his family to enjoy this life and to be a living testimony for others. Amen? Now, I love practical Christianity. So if I were you at this point in the message, I would be saying, that's great, great truth, Roy, but how do I live this out? How do I apply this? And so I want to leave you with three, and I may kind of throw a couple of bonus things. There's, there's a, a list that we could discuss today, but for the inter- in the interest of time, we'll, we'll just look at three. Three ways to shift our focus from the temporary stuff of earth to the eternal stuff of our Lord. Here's the first one. Very simply, pray. P-R-A-Y, pray. Look at Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Christ seated above at the right hand of God. You know what he's doing? He's interceding for us. He's our prayer partner. I don't know if there's a better way to shift our focus, to lift up my eyes, 
than to have an active and vibrant prayer life. Because every time I approach his throne of grace for help in a time of need, I'm reminded that there's a God bigger than me. There's a God who created this world. There's a God who promised that he would take even what the enemy means for evil in my life and he'll turn it around and use it for good if I just trust him and I continue to be faithful and to walk with him. And and a daily prayer life, an active prayer life, just reminds you of that day after day. Hey, there's a bigger thing than what I see around me. Amen. This life is not all there is. It will not get to me. Therefore, I do not lose heart. It's like that great old song, and this is when in the part of the message that I wish I could sing, but turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow. What? Strangely dim. They just grow strangely dim. So number one is pray. Number two, serve. Serve. John 6 and 27, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. In other words, invest we should invest our lives into something that will outlast our lives. Amen? Eternity outlasts our lives. That's where we should be investing our lives. Now, my, I don't want to belabor this point. My first message here was mostly about serving in the local church. And so I just want to say this to remind you that the real heroes of Real Life Church are, are that AV team and the dozens of other volunteers that show up on a weekly basis to make possible what we do here at Real Life Church. And no matter what capacity you're serving in, I just want you to know you're you're the heroes. Dennis and I and the other few staff could never pull any of this off without you. But as much of a blessing as it is to all of us that the AV team is serving and everybody else is serving and the kids' staff and the youth and the greeters and the hospitality and the cafe and security team, as much as we're blessed by all of that, the greatest blessing is reserved for them doing the serving. And most of you serve, and so you know the truth of that. You know, you want to you feel at home here? You want this place to feel like your church? Roll up your sleeves and find a place to serve. And you'll take on this ownership. Thank you. The church experience for those who do is just better. You know you have a part in something with an eternal significance, something that will outlast us. Now, certainly that's true in your family as well, and even on the workplace, okay? Don't... Don't mistake me for saying the church is the only way to make this happen. No, just remind yourself, I'm living for something that will outlast my life. And finally, number three, share Jesus. Share your faith. Share the gospel. Share the good news that you know. Now, this one works both ways. If you're sharing your faith, then certainly it indicates you have an eternal perspective. But if, on the other hand, it, is, it can be the mo- one of the most powerful ways to shift your focus as well. There's a sobering statistic, some of you may know this if you're in the trivia or stats, that over, on average, over 150,000 people per day pass from this life into the next. That's a lot of folks. You know, the question is, how many of them pass without anyone ever even giving them the choice of where to spend their eternity? But the heavier question, it's way more personal than that. It's who's counting on me? Who's depending on me to give them that choice? Look at Romans 10 and 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone 
preaching to them. And can I tell you, that preaching isn't speaking of Pastor Dennis, or not exclusively at least, certainly speaking of him, but it's speaking of all of us. We're all given the responsibility to share this good news, to be the preacher for someone or someones or many someones. Let me read a story. Larry mentioned that Wednesday will be the anniversary of 9-11. So I wanted to read a, a story. A, a story. I don't know what a story is. I'm not going to read one of those. Just put a microphone on. It will happen. Written by someone with a foreign first name and the last name John. Thank God for John. Mr. John, September 11th, 2001 started off as the most beautiful day in New York City, and then everything changed forever. He titled this, God Rewrote My Life on 9-11. The building shook as the first plane hit the North Tower, and John and his colleagues were forced to dodge large fireballs as they headed for the stairs. I realized that hundreds, thousands of people were joining us onto that stairwell, he recalled. We all had one thing in common, the fear of death written on every face. It took John an hour and 20 minutes to climb down the 81 levels to the plaza level, where staff normally gathered to socialize and tourists congregated to take pictures. But now this place of life has been turned into a place of death. He goes on to describe that. And I'm not going to. John desperately wanted to get to the South Tower to find his wife. She was in the other tower. But the ground was beginning to shake, and he realized the South Tower was imploding. For the first time in my life, I'm confronted with this reality of my mortality, he explained. Huddled together with around 15 or 20 other people, John suddenly recalled Romans 10 and 13. Whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I felt the Lord speak to me, saying, These people that are with you, where are they going without me? He says, so I start crying out, Jesus, a boldness comes upon me that I've never experienced before. And I asked these people to call upon the name of the Lord. What happened was truly interesting. Nobody tried to argue or debate with me. Nobody called upon any other God or tried any other form of religion or faith. How could they? The Bible that I believe in says there's only one name under all of heaven and earth by which we can be saved. And that is the sweet, matchless name of Jesus. So he then shared how everyone in that huddle perished except he and an FBI agent who also was a believer. Subsequently, the FBI agent went back into the building and did die, trying to save others. But everyone else in that huddle, who he had just witnessed to, and they all <laughs> embraced it, they perished. Sujo, I think is his name, and Mary, who also incredibly survived, his wife survived, were reunited later that day. It was the most amazing moment. He believes God has given each of them a new chance in life. On September 11th, if I would have died, I would have made it to heaven. But I would have stood before the Lord empty. Because until then, I was not someone that would be very involved in sharing my faith. But since September 11th, 2001, every opportunity that I get, God has used that to share the gospel. So God in his mercy has allowed me to redeem my time. Isn't that a beautiful story? Now, this is not to beat up anyone in the room because if I were, I would have to get in the first line and take the first blow, okay? Admittedly, sharing our faith because of the enemy's tactics, quite frankly, it's just not a simple thing for a lot of people, okay? I've dedicated my life to this as my livelihood, and it's still not a simple thing for me all the time. Once I get there, I can go there, but getting there sometimes is tricky. But 
So that's why I keep reminding you week after week that we've done something to try to help you with that, to try to simplify it just a bit, is those invite cards. Okay, if we can't, if we don't have the time or we can't share the entire gospel message, at least we can put that invite card in someone's hand. And I've shared the statistic that over 80% of non-churchgoers who were surveyed said they would go if they were invited. Can I be honest? That statistic should offend every one of us in the room. Except those of you who are our guests, the rest of us, it tells us that we had an 80% chance to have someone seated next to us for the first time just by inviting one person this past week. Now, I'm not a statistician, but I did do the math to say that if we invited two, there's a 150% chance that you would have one with you. Now, after the laughter, let me point out what that means. If everybody in the room invited two people a week, statistically speaking, we would double this place, and you would give us all kinds of other worries. Can I just challenge you? Give us those worries. We would accept that. But, so, use those invite cards. Okay, they've, they've been made available for you. And you know what happens when you have someone with you in church? When Pastor Dennis gives the salvation appeal, and you either sense or more than likely you cheat and you peek and you see your friend raise their hands saying, yes, I need Jesus to save me. Your perspective is immediately all on eternity. And that church experience was way different than any other you've had. So it's a beautiful way to shift our focus. You know what I've seen lately? Many of you know I lost my mother just over a month ago to cancer. And that's an opportunity to shift your focus as well, to remind you of the beauty of eternity. I was privileged to be able to share at my mom's funeral and wanted to just to share some family stories. I lost the drawing. And one of the things I shared is I had made a visit when she was still cognizant and still able to visit. And I was at their house, just she and my dad. And it was a beautiful day, and they live on a lake. And my mom's favorite place on earth was to sit on the back porch, staring at that water and watching the birds and the plants and the flowers that she had planted and groomed over the years. And so my dad and I helped her into a mobile chair and got her out on the porch and put her in her favorite rocking chair and put a blanket over it. It was 95 degrees, but she needed the blanket. And, and so dad slips around the front of the house real quickly, and, and I go into the house to use the restroom real quickly, and so she's out there by herself. And so I quickly come back, and I crack the door to, to go out onto the porch, and when I open the door, I hear, I didn't know she could even use an iPhone like this, but she had found how to play her favorite hymn, How Great Thou Art, and it was playing, and she was singing along with her eyes closed, and just a a frail shell, really, of the mom that I knew and looking at her favorite place and just singing about how great her God was. So I just pushed the door almost to so that I could hear but not disturb her and let her have her time, not quite privately, with her son. <laughs> I think that was okay. That shifted my perspective to know that there's a life beyond this life. Any of you ever lost a loved one? that you know there will be a reunion one of these days. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Fern Thomas, one of our dear ladies, passed just a few weeks ago. And the day after her passing, her family, her husband Jan and her two sons and family, they're, they're here at church because they said that's where she would want us. I saw James, one of her sons, at the front door and, and was asking him how he was doing and offering you know condolences. And he said, you know... Um, I love this church. I love our worship services. I love Pastor Dennis, and all you guys are pretty cool, but you know what hit me this morning? 
Mom's enjoying a much better worship service this morning than any of us. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Let's close. I want to pray for two types of individuals today. One, those of you that this struck a chord, and you can say, Roy, man, I have let myself slip into sort of that place, and I don't like it. I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I can't seem to find fulfillment. I need prayer. I need to shift my focus. And if that's you in the, this morning, would you just slip up your hand? Just quietly slip it up. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Thank you. I see those hands all over the room. I want to pray for you. In fact, let me just pray quickly for you right now. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. And so, God, right now, for those who've acknowledged that need, would you just do it for them, Lord? Help them to walk out of this place with a changed perspective, Lord, with a fresh reminder of your great plan for their lives, Lord, and despite the trouble they might be experiencing, despite the things that have not been able to bring satisfaction, Lord, help them to put their eyes on you, Lord. I pray that all of us could lift up our eyes like the psalmist said and to gaze upon you and to know that we're living for something greater than this life on earth. So, God, I thank you for doing that in these lives. In Jesus' name. And now I want to pray for those of you who, you know what? The truth is it's impossible for any of this to work if you don't have a relationship with God. And only you, seated right there, knows whether you are right with the Lord. And it begins with submitting, surrendering our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died a horrible death on a cross, but yet defeated that death by resurrecting on the third day. And the Bible says, just like the man on 9-11, whosoever believes in him, believes in his sacrifice, believes in his offer of forgiveness at Calvary, can be given eternal life. And it's a beautiful start to an eternal perspective. And so with everyone's head still bowed, if there's anyone in the room right now that you say, you know what, Roy? I'm here. I hear that message. I want that capacity. I want to be able to, to look with an eternal perspective. And I want that relationship with Jesus that you describe. I need him to forgive me, to restore me, to redeem my life. Or others of you that you may be saying, you know what? I'm here for the first time and it's been a while. Man, I was raised in church. I was brought up in a godly home, but somehow I strayed. And I've lived my life chasing all those things that Solomon said never brought satisfaction. And I can confirm they do not. And I need to, I need a restart, a redo, a refresh, a recommitment this morning. Any of you that those apply to, will you slip up your hands? Just again, quietly slip them up so I can pray for you. Thank you. I see, I see on the right side, I see three or four hands. I'm looking at my left now. I see one in the middle left, anyone on the far left. I see those hands. Thank you for acknowledging that this morning. So let me pray for you. And I'm going to pray, and you can, re you can repeat after me in, in a quiet way, or you can pray this in your own words, okay? Put it in your, your heart language. But essentially, this is our prayer. Father, I thank you for being a big God. God, I know you're the creator. I believe that you sent your son, and he lived and died for me. Lord, I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I want a new life in you. 
God, give me an eternal perspective. Help me, Lord, to live with an eternity in mind. So God, come into my heart. Be Lord over my life. Change my thoughts. Change my ways. Change my life. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're going to continue our worship by sharing communion with one another.